Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. turn your Bibles to the book of Job. I'm going to be rather ambitious today and try to preach two chapters, uh, Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. I uh, sent a message to Andre early this morning asking, how long does he preach? Uh, Because I want to make sure that I don't violate that. But I do want to take our time this morning to try to understand something of the suffering of Job and how he responded, and then share from that uh, some of the lessons that I have learned um, in some of my own trials over the past 16 months. Uh, I said to my wife driving here, I'm not looking forward to talking about myself, Um, but I've been asked to share, so I'm going to share how the Lord has Use the book of Job and other passages to teach me um, through a time of affliction in my life. If you join me in Job chapter 1, I want to read these 22 verses. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And by the way, it's probably on their birthdays they were doing this. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. The picture is these uh, heavenly beings gathering and standing at attention and presenting themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, literally the Satan, from where have you come? The Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man? one who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you, literally deny you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, 
All that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people. They are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. The Roman historian, philosopher Seneca once wrote that the bravest sight in the world is to see a great man struggling against adversity. And if that is true, then Job serves as a very fitting example of that, Because we're told in the text early on that he was, verse 3, the greatest of all the people of the East. Job was a great man in many ways. He was great when it came to prosperity. You read the numbering of the livestock that he possessed. He was a wealthy man. He was great in wealth. He was a man who was greatly blessed as a, as a father, he and his wife having ten children, seven sons, and three daughters. He was a great man that he was devoted to his family. He would offer sacrifices. Perhaps his children have sinned as they've gathered for these birthday parties. And Job, being conscientious of a holy God and the potential condemnation of his family, offers sacrifices to God. But he was a greater man than all of this in that God himself says, have you considered my servant Job, in verse 8, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. I would suggest to you that he was not just a great man as the world measures greatness, But Job, far more importantly, was a truly good man before God. He was a man that God himself commends before the heavenly host, that he was blameless and perfect. It doesn't mean that he was sinlessly perfect, but it does mean that he was a man who was completely whole. He was a man who was devoted to God. 
And the book of Job teaches us or confronts us with the question, will a good man remain a good man when seemingly God turns against him? Will a prosperous man continue to be a good man when he loses his prosperity? That is the test that is going on here. The Satan, the accuser, has said to God, Job is only serving you because of the good things you've given to him. He is only serving you because of the prosperity that you have blessed him with. But if you take away these prosperous things, if you take away the things that are making him great in the eyes of the world, then he will curse you to your face. He will defy you. He will deny you. He will turn away from you. I want to suggest to you that every Christian who endures whatever affliction God and His sovereignty brings into our lives, we are undergoing a similar test. Will we remain faithful to God when He takes away those things that were prospering us? Will we continue to believe God when He takes away those things that in the world's eyes are making us great? I have preached on that theme for over 30 years of my ministry. But beginning the 6th of December in 2021, I was confronted face-to-face with that very question, will I continue to trust God, though my, the prosperity of my health has been taken away? Uh, I am 62 years of age, and I have been healthy up until that point all of my life. I never knew what it was to really be sick. I, Besides minor procedures, I never knew what it was to be in the hospital. I uh, have been healthy all of my life, and I had to go to the hospital on the 6th of December for what should have been a minor procedure. I had some gallstones, and one of those was blocking the bile duct in a very basic procedure. They were going to do, and then two days later, they were going to take my gallbladder out, in fact, I was so assured that this was going to be a routine procedure, I'd already planned. I, I like to run. In 2021, I was headed for 3,000 kilometers that year. I was shy 35 kilometers. And I had it all figured out. I'd get out of the hospital on this day. I would rest for a week. I'd run this so many kilometers a day, and I'd hit 3,000 kilometers. The idea that things would go wrong never crossed my mind. But to make a very long story short, something went wrong with the procedure my pancreas was damaged, began to put in enzymes into my pancreas, it began to die, and I had a serious case of what was called necrotizing pancreatitis. I spent two and a half months in the hospital being treated for that. I then, when I came out of that, two months later, had my gallbladder out. I thought that would be routine. It ended up being another 21 days in the hospital. And I went through a really tough time. And I was confronted with the challenge of whether or not I would continue to trust God in these tough times. And I want to share, because I've been asked to, some lessons that I've learned during that period. I want to help us to understand something very, very important as we begin our study of Job, that Job did not have the light that you and I have. In fact, as we read the book of Job and you have this heavenly court taking place, and Satan appears, and Satan asks 
or, or God says to Joe, to, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I oftentimes think of when Jesus said to Peter, remember in Luke chapter 22, he says to Peter, Satan has desired to have you. And I can just imagine Peter saying to Jesus, well, you told him no, right? Well, he doesn't say no. He lets him attack. He says, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Job was a similar situation, but Job had no idea what was going on. As he begins to lose in this calamitous chapter 1, as he loses his all of his wealth, as he loses his ten children at one blast. Andre and I were talking about the hurricane or the tornado in Arkansas, which I think some of you have a connection with Arkansas. What a terrible thing to go through, but you can imagine this tornado comes up and all ten of your children die. Job doesn't know what is happening. He doesn't know that God has commended him in the heavenly court. And Job, from chapter, particularly from chapter 2, when Satan touches his health, and in chapter 3, where Job begins to lament what God has done, you begin to see this confusion with Job. And Job's biggest concern in all of this is, is God against me? In fact, in chapter 29 and verse 4, he makes the statement that he was a friend of God. And you would wonder, reading the book of Job, if this is how God treats his friends. Job is very confused about this. He doesn't know that God has actually accepted Job and that he has commended him before the heavenly host. And as all this trauma comes, he is going to be put through a test. We don't know how long this all lasted. He's going to endure three friends who I want to suggest to you were friends and we'll see that in very briefly in chapter 2. But they seem to turn against him. They think the worst. They have a prosperity theology, and Job is fighting against that. But he kind of begins to embrace that, thinking that he must have done something wrong if God is against him. He doesn't quite accept that, because he looks at his life and he says, I don't get this. I don't get how God is treating me. And again... Blake said, we look back, we have the history. Job didn't have all the history. He didn't have the history that the mediator that he's going to cry out for in this book is going to come. And because of that mediator, Job can be accepted and will be and is accepted by God. He feels like God is against him. One of the things that I had to wrestle with when I was in hospital started off in the Linksfield Hospital, and after a couple of weeks there, things were really going down very, very quickly. And I actually, on two occasions, was pretty sure that I was going to die. And I had, I had those dark times where I had to really search my soul. Do I believe this gospel that I preach? Do I believe in Christ? Do I believe him in this hour of my greatest need? Will I turn and continue to trust him? I would not suggest at all that I've experienced what Job experienced. But I did learn through this experience that when God does test, 
test me by test by touching my prosperity, in that case being health, who and what am I really trusting? That's an important lesson for all of us to embrace as Christians, that when we go through times of perhaps a, a financial affliction, you lose your job, you wonder how you're going to make it, you lose your health and you wonder what the next day is going to bring forth. When you have a trial in your family and your heart is shattered, when you begin to lose friendships, who and what am I truly trusting? That is all what's behind the book of Job. Job didn't realize that God had commended him twice, chapters 1 and 2, before the heavenly court, and he came to the point where he thought he was under the condemnation of God. It is in times of our trials where our faith and what we really trust is put to the test. In this chapter 1, we have this trial that God is behind. I don't have time to obviously explain every word of every verse, but it is interesting how there's this day when the heavenly hosts come and stand at attention before the Lord and the Satan. And by the way, there is a direct object here in the original. It's the Satan. In other words, it's the accuser. The accuser stands also amongst them and God says, what is it that you've been up to? And basically, I think what God is saying is, Satan, like always, you've been up to no good, right? As you've been around the world. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? And that's interesting because God actually initiates this trial. One of the dangers I think we face as Christians is that we give Satan too much credit. God's sovereignty is written all over this trial. He's the one who initiates this. Have you considered my servant Job? Satan, Martin Luther said, even Satan is God's Satan. That the devil is under God's sovereign control. God is sovereignly behind this entire trial. At the end of the chapter when Job responds by worshiping the Lord and blessing the name of the Lord. It is clear that at least at this point, Job still believes in the sovereignty of God. It is the Lord who gave. It's the Lord who takes away. Blessed be his name. What happened to me in the hospital was perhaps a because of a me medical error. And early on, my wife and I talked about that. And we said, and these are the words we used, we're not going down that road. And can I just say something? I have said we have several doctors in our church. And sometimes even Christians can put too much faith in doctors. Doctors are not God. Doctors are skilled and they're gifted. And I thank God for the doctor that humanly saved my life at the Donald Gordon Hospital. I love that man. I appreciate his giftedness. But even he would say to you, God has done this. And when trials come into our life, it's easy for us to become blame, full of blame, looking for someone to blame for our trial. And I'm not saying that sometimes people aren't to blame for some of our hardships. 
But ultimately, we need to look beyond that and look to God who is sovereign. He is the one who is allowing the trial. He is the one who is uh, allowing that heartache. He is the one who is allowing that physical calamity. I was speaking to a member yesterday in our church who is dying of cancer. And uh, he said to me with tears, he said, you know, just before you called, I was I was praying and I was saying to the Lord, you are sovereign and I will trust you. He's suffering. His family is suffering. But he understands that ultimately God stands behind this. One of the greatest lessons I think that I learned was to just be done with looking for someone to blame. God is behind this. God is at work. God has his purposes. In the midst of all of that, in the midst of the suffering that Job experienced, the calamity that struck his fortune in verses 14 to 17, and the calamity that struck his family in verses 18 to 19, in all of that, he responds with a very humble confession in verses 20 to 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I love the last verse. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I, I have a deep-seated fear of needles. And when I was in the hospital, every day, they would come in at 3.30 to 4 o'clock in the morning, and they would take blood. And they would do that to test to see my infection levels. My infection levels were sky high. I think it was supposed to be 7, and it was 395. And so every day they would take a blood test. And I would get a report of that later on. And they would uh, tell me that w- what, the, what the level was. And there came a period where the level started to drop, and I was greatly encouraged. And Jill would come in, and Jill would come in, and she was religiously checking my chart. And she'd say, your, your, your infection levels are down. And we were greatly encouraged. And they started to really come down dramatically. And I thought I was getting over all of this. And one day a physician came in and he said, I have bad news. He said, your infection levels have shot up again. And I just started crying. Because I had my hopes built up. And like they just all been shattered. And this doctor said to me, I can see that you're discouraged by this. I think you're experiencing depression. I want the hospital counselor to come and see you. And I said to him, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, yes, I'm discouraged, but I'm okay. No, no, he insisted. So one day the hospital counselor came in, a very nice guy, a very well-meaning guy, and he sat down and he began to speak to me, and I early on let him know that I'm a Christian and I'm trusting the Lord. And uh, he says, well, he said, in my experience, he said, People like you can become very depressed because they're expecting that God is going to heal them. 
And I said very politely, let me stop you right there. I said, the truth is, I have no idea if God is going to heal me. I said, I may very well die of this. I said, I don't have any reason to believe from Scripture that God is going to heal me. And I said, my faith in God is not dependent upon my health. And we had a kind of a short chat after that. And um, he went his way, and uh, I stayed in my room and just kept trying to trust the Lord. The fact of the matter is, this prosperity gospel that is plaguing the church of our day, and plaguing our continent, by the way, sometimes creeps into our lives. And we think, well, if I'm serving the Lord, and if I'm just trusting Him, then I can be sure that everything is going to work out. We don't have that guarantee. Our response must be like Job's. Though, God, I lose everything, regardless of that, I'm not going to charge you with sin. I'm not going to charge you with wrong. And all of this, I'm going to bow my head and worship. Now, I want to, I want to be careful here because I don't want to get the impression that I never had days of discouragement. I faced days of some real darkness. And I, I faced, uh, one time I had this uh, medical emergency in the middle of the night, and it was just kind of the last straw for me. And one of the sisters came in to try to, to help. I had this abscess. It just burst, and it was, it was horrific. And she was trying to help me, and I, and I lost my temper, and I sinned the way I spoke to her. And then... A little while later, I called her back in and I said, I want to ask your forgiveness. I never should have spoken to you like that. I wasn't, I was not a, a picture of virtue through my whole trial. But in all of that, I did try to just hang on and to keep worshiping God. And the reason I could do that is because I had something that Job didn't have. I had an empty tomb. I had the assurance. That if God is for me, who can be against me? I had the assurance that if God did not spare his own son, then he will certainly bring me through this trial, even if that means coming through death and bring me to himself. And the point I want us to take away from chapter 1 is the great wisdom of Job. We're told by God that Job was a man who feared God. He feared God. He feared the Lord. He was a wise man, and he responded to his trial with great wisdom as he continued to trust the Lord. He humbly confessed. He stood before a broken-hearted wife, and he continued to trust the Lord. I want to say something before we move into chapter 2. That this posture of worship, that Job displays in these closing verses was not something that just happened overnight. Job obviously, and we know earlier when he is making sacrifices for his children, he was a man who walked with God. He was a man who, over the years, had come to know God. And though he had so much less light than you and I have, he knew something about God could be trusted. And that was because he exercised himself 
no doubt, in this devotion. When I was in the ICU, I was in ICU, I think, for 23 days at the Donald Gordon Hospital. And the very first day that I was there, I looked around, and and, and I have pastored for 35 years, and I have been to a lot of ICUs. I was at one yesterday at Bedford View seeing one of our members. And going into those places is a tough thing. And you see people who are there and they are bedridden and most of them cannot move. And I, I had this great fear as I went to ICU that my body would just atrophy. That I would spend day after day there and not exercise and not move around. And because of that, I was, I was fearful of what would happen to me physically and mentally and every other way. And so I saw a lazy boy sitting there and I asked the nurse, I said, can I have that lazy boy in my room? And I made a plan that every morning at the latest by 8 o'clock, I would be up out of my bed sitting in that lazy boy and I wouldn't come back to bed until 7.30 at night. And as long as I had any ability to shuffle around and to move, I would do that. And so I would I would walk the, the ICU. They wouldn't let me out. They'd lock the door and they wouldn't let me out of the ICU. But I'd walk around the ICU. I wanted to keep my mind busy and so I was reading books. And I did all that because I knew if I didn't, my body and mind would shut down. What I want to suggest to you that the same is true spiritually. If we are not making a habit of daily worshiping God, if we're not making a a daily habit of saying, Lord, I recognize you as sovereign, if we're not making a daily habit of worshiping and blessing the name of God, then when the trials come, we're going to probably be in a bad position to respond. Job, no doubt, had a history of building this relationship, this devotion with God, and therefore he persevered at this point. Chapter 1 is bad enough, but in chapter 2, things go from bad to worse. And again, I don't have time to to read and explain all these verses. I want to respect the time. I was hoping you'd say, forget the time. But you didn't say that, so I'm going to respect the time. But in chapter 2, the affliction boils over. And we know what happens in chapter 2 when, once again, this heavenly court meets. And God says to Satan again, have you considered Job? Look how he's responding. You've taken, uh, with my permission, you've taken his family and his wealth. You've done all of this, and yet he's not cursing me. In fact, he just blessed me at the end of chapter 1. And then Satan says, yeah, but skin for skin. If you touch his body, if Job's skin is in the game, and you touch him physically, then he's going to curse you to your face. I want to be careful how I say this. I have dealt with lots of people's afflictions over the years, and there is a, the sorrow of death when you lose a loved one. Or one of our daughters was many weeks pregnant and went to the doctor for a second scan, and they found that there was no heartbeat. And I recently just said to her, I said, you know, there's a sense in which you will never get over this. 
But you will get through this. You're going to have really good days. And there's always going to be a memory there, but you're going to have really good days. But there is something about being physically afflicted where it's hard to have good days. When every day you're dealing with chronic pain, we have people in our church, and we pray for daily, my wife and I, who are in chronic pain. And there's something about that physical affliction. It just kind of boils over and really challenges your faith. It's something you just can't escape. I read a a book or two by Johnny Erickson Tata when I was in hospital. A woman who lives daily and has been for 60 years almost in daily affliction. And she says every day is a battle as she wakes up and feels this physical affliction. Every day is a battle to trust the Lord. Well, in chapter 2, that's exactly where Job is as he's covered with boils. And he's scraping his body with the pottery. And he's scratching his head, beginning to think, what is happening here in my life? As he goes through this time of great affliction because of the relentless adversary and because of God's wisdom allowing it to happen, he will come to the end and chapter 3 begin to question something about God. But I want to highlight a couple of lessons that I learned from this chapter in my own affliction. If you look down in verse 9 of chapter 2, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. In other words, what she's saying is, commit suicide. Because if you defy and deny God, he's going to kill you. Curse God and die. Job says, you speak as one of the foolish women. By the way, he's careful about that. You speak as one of the foolish women. He's not saying you're a foolish woman. He's saying you're, you're, you're speaking like the world would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He's persevering. But I want to spend a moment here identifying with those who are the caregivers for those who are under affliction. I think historically interpreters have been very, very hard on Job's wife. Augustine made the comment that she was the devil's advocate. I think that's a bit harsh. I've known a lot of caregivers for those who are, are afflicted. And I don't think we have a right to assume here that Job's wife is an ungodly woman. She's speaking as a foolish woman. And she needed to hear that. But keep in mind that, what, that, that Job lost ten children, and so did his wife. She's not, she's not unaffected by this. She's lost her wealth as, long, as well as Job. Now she's seeing a man that we can assume she loves, suffering and undergoing this great suffering. And I think when we're undergoing suffering... Or you know a friend or a church member who's undergoing suffering. We come alongside them, but we also need to come alongside their caregivers. You know, I was in hospital during the COVID era. 
In almost every hospital, didn't even let visitors, and by the grace of God, the Donald Gordon would allow one visitor a day from 2 o'clock until 6 o'clock. And every day, I'd watch that door, and I'd wait because I knew my wife was going to walk through it. And she was going to stay there until I said, you need to go home and get home before it's dark and get home before there's traffic. Every day, for 91 days, my wife would come. And she put on a brave face. But I know on Christmas Day, 2021, she had a discussion with my son-in-law that if Doug dies, you're going to have to help me here with the bureaucracy. You have to help me here with insurance policies. And my wife suffered alongside of me. We need to remember that when you know someone who is suffering, keep in mind their caregiver. And sometimes a caregiver can can lose it. And sometimes a caregiver can say a foolish thing. And rather than being harsh, come alongside and minister to them. Can I say something else about caregivers as I begin to wrap this up? There are three other people here that sometimes... I think they'll get the credit that is their due, and that is the three friends of Job. Verse 11 says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come unto him, they came each from his own place. And you have Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and to comfort him. They see him from a distance. He's covered in boils. They don't even recognize their friend. And they come and they sit with him for seven days in silence. And they commiserate with him. These three friends uh, rightly are rebuked at the end of the book for when they do open their mouth. They were great counselors for seven days when they said nothing. But I want to give them credit where credit is, is due. They came to him. You know, in my experience, as a pastor dealing with a lot of afflicted people, in my own personal experience in the last 16 months, when somebody is really suffering, there's a hesitancy on the part of some to come near them. There's this hesitancy, not because they don't care, but because they're not sure what they're going to say. They're not sure what they're going to do. They're not sure how this person's affliction is going to then begin to take up parts of their life. But these three friends came from a distance, three different areas. They made an appointment, as it were. We're going to get together. We're going to come. We've heard about Job. And we're going to come. We're going to be with him. I was so blessed when hospital just to receive messages from people in the church and Sometimes when Jill couldn't be there the whole time, she'd say, would you like for me to ask someone to come and be with you? And she would speak to a particular individuals in the church, and they would take the, con- take the time, and they would come, and they would be with me without even me even asking. I have a brother-in-law in Rhode Island, and when he heard that I was sick, he sent me a message. He said, I'm booking a ticket, and I'm going to come, and I'm just going to be with you. And he would come, 
And by the way, he came. And the first day he got there, he came. He said, I, I don't want to take, I don't want to, I don't want to be annoying. You don't have to talk to me, but I just want to be here with you. And it was such a blessing. And the next day he tested positive for COVID. So he spent 10 days in South Africa, isolated in a room in my house. Then he delayed his trip. And once he was well, he came and he just sat with me. But here's the point. When people are suffering, let's be good friends to them. You don't have to have all the answers. Clearly, these friends didn't have any answers when you read the rest of the book. But they came and they sat with him. And they comforted him and they commiserated with him. I remember early in the ministry, I was just training to be in the ministry and my pastor was going to the hospital to see a couple who had just, uh, in an emergency, had just lost one of their triplets. We sat in the hospital room and I was ready to hear this wise pastor just give wisdom after wisdom to this suffering family. And I was amazed as he sat there and basically said nothing. And then afterwards, he prayed. We got in the car and I asked him about that. He said, Doug, sometimes people don't need a sermon. They just need your presence. And we see those who are suffering. Let's give them the, 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 our presence. Let's give them our comfort by being with them and serving them, and even commiserating with them as they suffer. You know, the book of Job, I actually preached through the book of Job last year after I got out of hospital. In fact, I preached the first two, two chapters, and then I went back in the hospital and had a major calamity and was there for three weeks. When I came back, I preached to the book of Job. One thing I kept saying to the church over and over again is what I said when we started this this morning. We have light that Job did not have. When you see Job handling things not so well through a lot of what is left in this book, as he laments almost hopelessly in chapter 3, and then even says some things that were not respectful of God. He didn't have what we have as Christians. He didn't have the knowledge that he was completely accepted by God. His whole problem that he wrestles with is he thinks that God has forsaken him. He doesn't have an empty tomb. He doesn't have the Good Friday to look to. He doesn't have the Good Friday to see this perfect, sinless Son of God suffering a million times more than Job could ever even imagine, being separated from his father. He doesn't have the words, it is finished. He doesn't hear the words, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. He doesn't have the words that he has ascended and he's in the right hand of the Father, making intercession for all who will come to him, making intercession completely. But you and I, in our affliction, we have so much more than Job. And that's why Job, he wanted out of the affliction. When you read of the afflictions of someone like the Apostle Paul, 
He's not asking God to deliver him from his afflictions. He's simply saying, Lord, in the midst of these, that I might know you better. And so, Christian, let us find our hope in Christ alone. And if you're not a Christian, yes, as you face your affliction, I can't promise you that God's going to change things and make you well. You may become a Christian and become even more sick. Your broken relationship may become even worse. But your greatest need of being forgiven by holy God will be taken care of once for all as you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered on the cross to die for the sins of people like you and I and rose again for our justification. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Job. Thank you for the honesty of the book. Thank you, Father, for the way the book ends where a pious man remind, remained a pious man in spite of losing everything. A man who loved you, loves you in the end. Help we, the afflicted Christian, to learn from that. And to our, may our love for you grow in the midst of our suffering. And those here today that don't know Christ, and are headed for eternal suffering, would you please, Holy Spirit, give them a heart to repent, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be saved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.